Hello, Patriots. I wanted to do a special broadcast today uh, about a prolific serial killer that was active from 1974 to 1991 in my hometown of Wichita, Kansas. His name was, is Dennis Rader. He is known. Like I said, Dennis Rader was active from 1974 to 1991 in Wichita, Kansas. And back when I was growing up, you know, it was it wasn't uh, out of place to uh, like run to the store someplace and leave your door unlocked. But after uh, the BTK killing started, uh, everything changed. And back in January of 1974, when he first struck, he killed a family of four. He killed uh, the Otero family. Uh, Julie Otero, Joseph Otero. Uh, he strangled them in their home at 803 North Edgemore along with their uh, two of their children, Josephine, 11, and Joseph Jr., who was nine. Uh, the family car was later uh, found at the Dillon store at Central and Oliver. Now, with the Otero killing, Josephine, 11, who they found she was hung down in the basement of the home by a pipe and she was bound and tortured and they found her panties laying down on the ground and they found semen stains on the panty. And April uh, 4th, 1974, Catherine Bright, 21, is found stabbed to death in her home at 3217 East 13th Street. Police later conclude she was a BTK victim uh, October 1974, the Wichita Eagle receives a letter from a person claiming to have killed the Oteros. The letter included de details of the crime scene that only the killer could have known. March 17, 1977, Nancy Fox, 25, is found tied up and strangled in her home at 843 South Pershing. BTK's voice is captured on tape when he calls the dispatcher to report the homicide. At January 31st, 1978, a poem uh, written with a child's uh, printing set on an index card arrives at the Wichita Eagle. The poem, which is patterned after a Curly Locks nursery rhyme, refers to the Vienna homicide. February 10th, 1978, a letter from BTK arrives at 
Kate claiming responsibility for the deaths of Ian and Fox, as well as an, another unnamed victim. At a hastily arranged news conference, Police Chief Richard Lemonian announces that a serial killer is at large and has threatened to strike again. April 28, 1979, the killer waits inside a home at the 600 block of South Pinecrest, but leaves before the 63-year-old woman homeowner returns. He later sends the woman a letter letting her know he was there. Police think the killer was targeting the woman's daughter. August 15, 1979, Wichita uh, listened to repeated radio and television broadcasts of the voice of the BTK Strangler from the 1977 phone call. Police received 110 tips during the first day the broadcast airs. Mid-1980s, a new BTK investigation is opened by a group known as the Ghost Busters who spent three years employing new techniques include DNA testing, computer database searches, and psychological profiles. April 27, 1985, Maureen Hedge, who lived just down Independence Street from Dennis Rader in Park City, is tied up and killed in her home. September 16, 1986, Vicki Wagerly, 28, is strangled in her home at 2404 West 13th Street. The family car is found two blocks away, the 1300 block of North Edwards. January 1988, the wife of murder victim uh, Philip Baker receives a letter from a man claiming to be BTK. The letter talked about killing the killing of Baker and her and his two daughters. But BTK, BTK experts disagree whether it's actually from BTK. Uh, January 19, 1981, Raider kills Dolores D. Davis and leaves her body in a ditch. Now, with the Davis case, he also uh, took very provo provocative pictures of her. Uh in various states of undress before he dumps her body. Uh, March 19, 2004, a letter arrives at the Wichita Eagle containing a photocopy of Wagerly's driver's license and three pictures that apparently were taken by the killer. Relatives say the license was the only thing missing from the Wagerly home. For 31 years, it remained one of the most closely guarded secrets in the BTK serial murder case. Wichita police used, to, used it to help verify that the communications sent to the police and media actually came from the killer. They kept it secret so it wouldn't be used in hoaxes. It was the serial killer's signature, a sexually suggestive configuration of the letters B, T, and K. Still uh, etched into the memories of some former detectives, instead of writing the letters in line from le left to right, the killer stacked the B, T, and K 
uh, from top to bottom with the bee shaped uh, to look like uh, women's breasts. Uh, Tony, uh, Tony Rourke, a Wichita a psychologist who consulted with police on the BTK case from 1979 to 1981, recalls that he was told to keep the unique signature a secret. This is the one thing that couldn't get out, he said. Only a limited number of detectives laid their eyes on it. I have never seen this ever described to anybody, he said. The signature appeared to be two of five known communications from the killer from 1974 to 1979, according to research by Robert Beatty, the Wichita man who's written a book about the case. The signature also showed up on a letter that arrived at the Wichita Eagle in 2004. At the request of the Wichita police, the Eagle agreed at the, at the time not to describe the signature if it became public. People, uh, police said it would be much harder to weed out copycat letters. There was Joseph Otero, the dad, sometimes stern with high expectations for his five children. Report cards with bees required explanations. Then there was just uh, then there was Joseph Otero, the man, obsessed with aviation and cars, a talented bongo player, a flirt, a cut up. Charlie Otero remembers both sides of his father as a fifteen year fifteen year old. He was just beginning to bond with his dad when Joseph died in 1974 at the age of 38. He was the life of the party, Charlie said. If there was 20 guys in a room, he'd be the one in the middle making them all laugh, telling stories, joshing with people, flirting with the girls. He was not a shy person. Born in Puerto Rico, Otero immigrated to the United States as a boy. He grew up in uh, New York City, Spanish Harlem, where he became a champion boxer and fell in love with Julia, a girl from the neighborhood and another Puerto Rican transplant. And as soon as he was old enough, Otero joined the Air Force, where he served for 20 years. He retired as a master sergeant uh, just before moving his family to Wichita in the fall of 1973. Julia Otero, a 34-year-old mother of five, was petite, weighing only at 100 pounds, and she was sweet as an angel, her son Charlie said, but her angelic exterior hit an inner fighter literally. A longtime Air Force wife, Julia Otero signed her entire family up for summer judo classes, being offered on the base. She saw the classes as something she and her kids could do together. In no time, Julia was a brown belt and her children were winning trophy after trophy. But she was a lady all the way. Uh, born in Puerto Rico, 
uh, Julie came to the United States on a banana boat as a child, her son said. Outgoing, social, and popular. And she quickly caught the eye of Joseph Otero, who chased her for years. The two were married in a big church wedding in New York City, and Charlie was born about nine months later to the day. When the family moved to Wichita, Julie took a job on the assembly line at Coleman. She was laid off about a month later in a labor force reduction. She was recommended for rehire. Uh, Josephine Otero, 11-year-old Josephine, was known as the new girl among her 6th grade peers at Adams Elementary School in the fall of 1973. She started school after the term had begun, something that tends to draw attention from a room full of 11 and 12 year olds. They called her Josie. Josie was quiet and shy, but easy going. I remember his classmate Bill Partridge. She would just laugh when some of the other kids would sing her the theme song from the Josie and the Pussycats cartoon, which was popular at the time. Charlie Artero remembers his young, younger sister as pretty and thin with long, dark hair. She was the best student in the family. Despite holding a yellow belt in judo, she was deeply entrenched in her girly life. She liked her Barbie dolls, she wrote poetry, and she painted and drew. She was inseparable from her older sister, Carmen, the only other girl in the family. Joseph Otero Jr. was the baby of the family, but he wasn't babied. Known as Joey, he was rarely left alone by his four older siblings. Joey was the darling of the family his brother Charlie remembers. Everybody played with Joey, used him for judo practice. We'd make the dog drag him around the house, but it was all in love. At age nine, Joey quickly became one of the most popular boys in his fourth grade class at Adams Elementary. Uh, he started the school year late, and the girls in his class immediately became enamored of him. He was good-looking, Hollywood good-looking. Charlie, six years Joey's junior, uh, uh, six years Joey's senior. He had all kinds of girlfriends already. He had droves of them following him around. The family dog, Lucky, was a gift to Joey on his fifth birthday. Though the shepherd mix could be ferocious to strangers, Joey loved him. All we had to do was say sick Lucky on Joey. And Char Charlie said, and he'd grab him by the pant leg and drag him around the house. Shirley Vianne, uh, what Shirley Vianne's son Stephen uh, Relford remembers about his mother is that she sang in the church choir, she liked to sing, and she was a good mother, said Relford, who was just five when she died. She always seemed happy. Vianne had three children, Bud, Stephen, and Stephanie. Uh, Vicki Wiggerly loved children. 
her own and as well as others, says those who knew her. Vicki Wegley volunteered as a babysitter both at St. Andrew's Lutheran Church, which, is, which she regularly attended, and at Asbury United Methodist Church, which was in her neighborhood. The Reverend uh, Arno Meyer was pastor at St. Andrew's in 1986 when Wagerly was killed. She was a wonderful, a wonderful woman, said Meyer, now retired and living in Topeka. She was just a mild-mannered mother, uh, quiet and loving. Maureen Hedge and Sweet Southern Boys reminiscent of her Arkansas roots. Maureen Hedge always uh, prefaced each sentence with, says, well, and then she'd just start talking. Her daughter-in-law, Phyllis Hedge, said she talked like Dolly Parton. She was amazingly sweet. A petite woman, Hedge uh, loved shopping and jewelry. She was yeah, always meticulously dressed, uh, her shoes matching her clothes. She was very stylish, said Phyllis Hedge, who knew her for 18 years. Just a perfect, meticulous little person, she was under five feet tall. Hedge, whose maiden name was Wallace, moved with her husband to Kansas from Arkansas. She, he worked for Beechcraft. She uh, worked as a second shift supervisor at the Wesley Medical Center coffee shop for more than a dozen years. Uh, they lived at 6254 uh, Independence Street in Park City. They had one son and three daughters together in addition to grandchildren. Her husband died a year before she did. And at the time of her death, neighbors recalled that she enjoyed bingo, working in her yard, and attending the Park City Baptist Church. Nancy Fox, most people who knew Nancy uh, from South High School, uh, re recalled she was smart but also liked to crack jokes. And she was a hard worker. She helped, held a job as a full-time secretary at the law company construction business and also worked uh, two nights a week and some Saturdays at Hellsburg uh, Jewelers in the Wichita Mall. At the store, she worked in the office alongside Cindy Duckett, filling out paperwork to resize rings and uh, or watches and put, the, put items on layaway. Duckett recalls Fox was professional and always wanted to work even more hours. She smiled a lot. She joked a lot. Duckett said and she did have worries. She had bills to pay, and she was responsible for herself. She was more mature than the rest of the girls at the store. Amy Davis remembers the nutty things that her grandma Dolores Davis did. Uh, the way she carried her wet wipes everywhere to scrub any services Faces included the mighty possibility be germy. Uh, the way she hid matches on top of their fridge even after her children were grown.
uh, the way she rolled the car windows down just an inch or two, no more, for fear her grandkids might get sucked out by the vacuum. Roll it down, Grandma, the kids would yell from the back seat. Can you roll it down some more, please? No, that's enough, she'd say. Then she'd hum a tune and keep driving. Dolores D. Davis was funny that way, Amy said. Davis was born June 6, 1928 in Stella, Nebraska and grew up on a farm. Uh, D. worked more than 25 years as secretary for uh, Laria Oil and Gas Company. She retired in 1990, just months before she died. She also sold Mary Kay Cosmetics. She liked that company. Uh, didn't test its products on animals, Amy said. Catherine Bright was a member of the Valley Center class of 1971. Uh, she went on to the University of Kansas for a semester. Uh, she returned to Wichita where she got a job at Coleman. And she was 21 when she was killed. There were five kids in the Bright family and 18 cousins who would gather often. It was a close family, her cousin Marcia Brown said. Catherine was joyful, beautiful, memorable. Brown said she would have made a great mom. And it's just so sad. Dennis Rader is a serial killer who terrorized Wichita residents for decades from 1974 to 1991. He gave himself the nickname of BTK, which he said is what he would do, bind, torture, and kill his victims. Dennis Rader worked for the uh, Park City as a compliance op uh, supervisor in charge of animal control and general code enforcement. He was married with two grown children, a leader in his church, Christ Lutheran Church, a former Boy Scout leader, an Air Force veteran, and a 1979 uh, Wichita State University graduate. Rader went to work for the city uh, three years after he left his job at the uh, Wichita office of uh, National Security Company officials for ADT Security based in Bookertown, Florida. Rader worked uh, for the Wichita office from 19, November 1974 to July 1988. Those who knew Rader said he paid attention to detail and approached, appreciated neatness at his church as he passed out church bulletins and welcome new members. He was so well thought of and he became president of the church congregation. He was called by others a control freak 
a compliance officer for Park City. He issued threats. He measured how tall the grass was in somebody's lawn. Uh, he spied on people. He was described as cruel and arrogant on the power trip. BGK sent several taunting letters to police, the media, and crime victims in the 1970s when he claimed responsibility for seven killings and suggested he be called BTK for bind them, torture them, and kill them. The letters stopped in 1979. Some of the letters and packages that he sent to police and media contained information about the killings that were never made public. Uh, some included pictures of his victims both as they lived and died and souvenirs he had taken from the crime scenes. BTK would describe the sexual thrill he got from torturing victims. He wrote that he brought some victims uh, to the brink of death and then gave them air and then strang strangled them again. And then, on the 30th anniversary of the first BTK killings, uh, Wichita Eagle reporter Hearst uh, Laviana wrote a story that ran in the newspaper on January 17, 2004. Here is an excerpt from the story. I don't think people today realize the kind of tension there was in Wichita at that time, said lawyer Robert Beatty who was a West High School student at the time. Although the killings remained firmly implanted in the minds of those who lived through them, Beatty said many Wichitans probably have never heard of BTK. He said he used the BTK case during a segment of his class last year and was surprised at the reaction. I had zero recognition from the students, he said. No one, not one of them, have heard of it. Raider found the story outrageous and impossible to ignore. How did they not remember me? Did they no longer feel the fear that I instilled in them? He would show them. In his March 2004 letter to the Eagle, BTK took credit for the killings of Vicki Wagerly and an unsolved case in 1986 that was never publicly attributed to BTK. The fact that Mr. Rader is a very bad speller, he does not know how to write, Wichita Police Lieutenant Ken Landwehr said, DNA uh, plays a key role in finally making an arrest. In 2000, four years before BTK ended his silence, uh, the cold case became hot. Wichita Police Detectives Kelly Otis and, and Dana Gouge were assigned to work 
an unsolved 1986 killing of 28-year-old Vicki Wagerly. A wife and mother found bound and strangled in her home on West 13th. Uh, police had found a man's DNA under her fingernails in 2003. Uh, that profile was entered into a newly developed national database for criminals. Now, mind you, uh, Dennis Rader, in 1979, when he graduated from uh, Wichita State, he graduated with a degree in criminal justice. However, uh, the DNA test showed there was no match. But the same killer had been in the homes where BTK, BTK strangled for members of the Otero family in 74 and Nancy Fox in 1977. After Wagerly was killed, though, there had been no BTK letters, no taunts, no threats, no communication until March of 2004 when BTK reemerged with a mailing to the Eagle a photocopy of three pictures the killer had taken of Wagerly lying on the floor plus a copy of her missing driver's license. Now the photocopy also had a signature the killer had used in his communications over the years the odd configuration of BT and K. Sometimes with the, the bee drawn that resembles breasts. Once the police, once the police saw the photocopy, the hunt was on. Uh, investiga investigators, without the knowledge of Carrie Rawson, which is uh, Dennis Rader's daughter, used the subpoena to gain a DNA sample from her medical records. Her DNA told them that her father was BTK. The FBI knocked on Rawson's door on February 25th. She looked out from her tiny apartment near Detroit. He was holding an FBI badge. She almost didn't answer. Her father, a code compliance officer in Wichita's suburb Park City, had taught her to be wary of strangers and this one had set in his car next to her trash dumpster for an hour. She called She called her husband, but after the FBI knocked on her, uh, knocked, she let him into her kitchen where she had made chocolate bundt cake. From now on, the smell of chocolate cake would make her queasy. He asked whether she knew who BTK was. Yes, BTK, Bind, Torture, Kill, was the serial killer who scared her mom decades ago. The FBI guy was her dad's age, late 50s, wearing glasses and a necktie. Nervous, she was a, a substitute teacher taking a day off, still wearing her mint green pajamas, though it was past noon. Her dad had been arrested as a BTK suspect, the man said. He needed to swab her mouth for DNA. After police arrested Dennis Rader, they found the original Wagerly photos 
and driver's license taped to a sheet in a locked file cabinet at his workplace. He worked as a Park City compliance officer from 1991 until he was firing a few days after his arrest. A raider was so detailed he kept binders to hold his communications. Raider had hidden from uh, some evidence in his home, including something Lieutenant Landwehr called a Vian package. But most of his communications were either in the locked work cabinet or on his work computer. One question that lingers is whether Raider killed more than 10 people. I'll never say never, Landwehr said, but investigators don't think there was more BTK murders, he said. After his You always want to know what BTK sounds like? I'll play a snippet of what BTK sounds like. And his daughter did write a tall book. Mr. Raider, I need to find out more information. On that particular day, the 15th day of January, 1974, can you tell me where you went to kill Mr. Joseph Otero? I think it's 1834. Uh, Edgemore. Alright. Can you tell me approximately what time of day you went there? Uh, somewhere between 7 and 7.30. This particular location, did you know these people? No, that's... Uh, no, that was part of my, uh, I guess my, what you call fantasy. These people were uh, selected. All right, so you, you were engaged in some kind of fantasy during this period of time? Uh, yes, sir. All right. Now, when you use the term fantasy, is this something you were doing for your personal pleasure? Uh, sexual fantasy, sir. I see. So you went to this residence, and what occurred then? Well, uh, I had... Uh, did some uh, thinking on what I was going to do to uh, either Mrs. Otero or Josephine and uh, basically broke into the house or didn't break into the house, but uh, when they came out of the house, I came in and confronted the family and then we went from there. All right. Had you planned this beforehand? To some degree, yes. Uh, after I got in the house, it, well, I lost control of it, but it, it was, you know, in the back of my mind, I had some ideas what I was going to do. But, uh, I just, I basically panicked that first day, so. Beforehand, did you know who was there in the house? I thought Mrs. Otero and the two kids, the uh, two younger kids were in the house. I didn't realize Mr. Otero was going to be there. All right. How did you get into the house? I came to the back door, uh, cut the phone lines, uh, waited at the back door, 
had reservations about even going or just walking away, but pretty soon the door opened and I was in. All right, so the door opened. Was it open for you? I think one of the kids, I think the uh, uh, junior, or not junior, yes, the uh, the younger uh, Joseph opened the door. He probably let the dog out because the dog was in the house at that time. All right, when you went into the house, what happened? Well, I confronted the family, uh, pulled a pistol, uh, confronted Mr. Otero, and asked him to, uh, you know, that I was there to basically, I was uh, wanted, uh, wanted to uh, get the car, I was hungry, food, I was wanted, and asked him to lie down in the uh, living room. And uh, at that time, I realized that wouldn't be a really good idea, so I finally, the dog was a real problem, so I asked Mr. Otero if he could get the dog out, so he had one of the kids put it out. I took him back to the bedroom. You took him back to the bedroom? Uh, the family, the bedroom, the four members. All right, what happened then? At that time, I tied him up. While still holding him at gunpoint? Well, in between tying and yes. Yeah. All right, after you tied them up, what happened? Well, uh, they started complaining about uh, being tied up, and I re loosen the bonds a couple of times, uh, tried to make Mr. Otero as comfortable as I could. Had he put a, uh, I think he parker or a coat underneath him. Uh, they, uh, you know, they talked to me about, uh, you know, giving the car and whatever money. I guess they didn't have very much money. And, uh, there I realized that, uh, you know, I was already, I didn't have a mask on or anything, they already could ID me, and uh, made, a, made a decision to go ahead and put them down, I guess, restrain them. All right, what did you do to Joseph Otero? Senior? Joseph Otero? Yeah, yeah. Joseph Otero senior, Mr. Otero, the father. I put a plastic bag over his head and then some cords and tightened it. This was in the bedroom? Yes, sir. Did he, in fact, uh, suffocate and die as a result of this? Not right away. No, sir, he didn't. What happened? Uh, well, after that, I, uh, I did miss this Otero. Uh, I had never strangled anyone before, so I really didn't know how much pressure you had to put on a person or how long it would take. But Was she also tied up there in the Yes, uh -huh. yeah, both their hands and their feet were tied up. She was on the bed. Where were the children? Uh, well, uh, Josephine was on the bed and uh, Junior was on the floor this time. So we're, we're talking first of all about Joseph Otero. So you put the bag over his head and tied it. Mm -hmm. And he did not die right away. Can you tell me what happened in regards to Joseph? Uh, he moved over real quick like and I think tore a hole in the bag. And I could tell that he was having some problems there. But at that time, the, the whole family just went, uh, they went panicked on me, so I, I worked pretty quick. His first court appearance was March 1, 2005, before Sidra County District Court Judge Greg Waller. He appeared on closed-circuit television from the jail, standard practice for the initial uh, court hearing for prisoners in custody in Sidra County. He spoke fewer than two dozen words during his, the hearing. A high-profile case such as Raiders covering 31 years, 
10 victims and seven different homicide scenes was estimated by legal experts to cost the state of Kansas millions of dollars. News organizations from around the world followed the case. The Cedric County Courthouse had to make accommodations for broadcast and print news media to disseminate information across the globe. Court documents sealed by Judge Waller left the public and media wondering what evidence and proof authorities had that led to the arrest of Raider that, that fateful February day. Raider waived his preliminary hearing on April 19th and asked to postpone his plea for 10 days after the Wichita Eagle and five other news organizations asked a judge to open the court files in the BTK case. Judge Waller lifted the seals on nearly all the motions and orders in the multiple murder case. At Raider's brief arraignment on May 2, 2005, charges were formally read. He stood silent while the district court judge, uh, Greg Waller, entered a not guilty plea on his behalf. At that time, District Attorney Nola Fulston served notice that she intended to pursue the hard 40 prison sentence. On June 27, 2005, Dennis Rader, the former church leader and Boy Scout leader, uh, pled guilty as Wichita's notorious BTK serial killer. He then gave a detailed recount of how he selected, stalked, and strangled 10 people. In the courtroom, family members and victims could only listen in silence as they heard what happened to their loved ones. I called them projects, Raiders said, of the ten murders. He divided each into steps. If you've read much about serial killers, you know they go through phases, Raider told Judge Waller. Trolling is one of the phases they go through, looking for victims. For Raider, uh, they were women for whom he harbored violent sexual fantasies. After Raider finished, Waller was uh, set sentencing for August 17th. At his sentencing, Bolston, who had a reputation as a thorough uh, trial lawyer, wanted to make a complete record on the way Raider bound, tortured, and killed 10 people from 1974 to 1991. She wanted the record to be accurate in case of a review by higher courts. Information she presented included graphic testimony and photographs of the torture Raider inflicted. Raider is evil for all to see. August 17, 2005. Families confront BTK in court August 18, 2005. BTK was sentenced to 10 life terms. Uh, where Dennis Rader is now? Dennis Lynn Rader was born March 9, 1945. Was sentenced on August 17, 2005. On 10 convictions of first degree murder for the deaths on January 16th. Uh, uh, of 1974 four counts 
of the Oteros. April 4, 1974, March 17, 1977, December 8, 1977, April 20, uh, 8, 1985, April 16, 1986, and January 19, 1991. He is currently incarcerated in El Dorado Correctional Facility in South Central Kansas. The Kansas Department of Correction lists uh, parole eligibility parole eligibility date for February 26, 2180, 175 years from the date of his arrest, according to the KDOC website. Raiders custody level is special management, which means he is segregated from general prison population. He's in PC, basically, Supermax. He is not eligible for the death penalty. Kansas did not have a death, death penalty on the books between 1972 and 1994. Raider committed his first four murders of the Otero family in 1974 and his final one in 1991. Two things drove BTK, a detective said, the, the perversions that led to the murders and the, the hunger for attention that prompted him to send letters to the media. Learning of Beatty's book prompted Raider to resurface after years of silence. Police have no doubt that Raider's resurfacing ultimately led to his arrest. Some unusual items uh, Reportedly owned by BTK, serial killer Dennis Raider, are up for sale on Murder Memorabilia website. Andy Kahn, who coined the term uh, mur uh, murderabilia, says that, that in 20 years watching what he calls a gruesome, disgusting uh, industry, he's never seen prison-issued clothing for sale. And his, his daughter uh, released a tell-all book where Raider doesn't ha have too keen of words for his daughter after her tell-all book. Well, please tell me how I did in this podcast. Um, God bless you. God bless America. And God bless Donald Trump. This is the Patriot Podcast signing off.